starting our brand new series this summer as we're going to go through the whole book of 1 John. And the way we're going to do that is with three sort of mini-series. Because in 1 John, there's kind of these three core topics or uh, messages that John has to say about who God is. And so he says, God is light, God is love, and God is life. And so we're going to, over the summer, have three different kind of series that get into each one of those uh, messages about who God is and talk about those. And that's where we start today with our series, Spark, where we're going to be looking at God is light and that message that John starts out with in his, in his letter. And John's writing to uh, a, a church and a group of Christians that are struggling because some of the folks in the church have kind of left and gone off and are doing something uh, different, kind of teaching some things and acting in some ways that don't really match up with who Jesus is, and John's concerned about that. And so there's a group of Christians kind of stuck in the middle because they're, they're just not sure which way to go. They don't know who's teaching the right thing, which, which message they should obey, and they're not really, they're just confused about, well, what do we do? And so John goes to the basics and kind of gets to the foundation of, well, here's, here's those basic truths. Let's just remember all that so we know how to, how to kind of go forward from, from here. And so he's got a great way of talking about really simple concepts, simple truths, but he does it in a way that if you, you kind of stop and think about it, you realize it's way deeper than you originally thought. So he, he, he kind of puts the, you know, if you will, he puts the cookies on the bottom shelf, but then when you start getting the cookies, you realize, oh, John, you tricked me. This is way deeper than I thought. This is way bigger than I thought. You got me, John. So he has a great way of doing that. So as we kind of dive into this, this first part of 1 John, we're going to be looking at how God is light. And recently, you know, I've, I've kind of gotten this new YouTube video kick where I'm watching lots of, uh, like, I guess you can call it extreme camping. Maybe that's the way you call it. And they're, they're like video titles like solo camping in minus 30 degree weather, stuff like that. So I'm watching these guys go out and try to survive in, you know, I don't know, northern Canada or these, you know, they kind of get off the beaten trail and they, they camp by themselves and they videotape everything and, and that's kind of what they do. And I'm just blown away by how they're able to, to survive out there. Now, I, I did my turn as a Boy Scout, not for very long, learned a couple knots and then forgot them all. So I'm not much good in these situations. So I'm just amazed at all the things these guys can do. But one thing they do is they're very impressive at how they build a campfire. I mean, they know exactly which kind of wood they need to get. They know what kind of bark is best for every stage of the fire. Like, they've got it all figured out really well. And so they'll quickly collect and get all their fire ready. And they've got these, like, giant camping knife multi-tools I've never seen. And they're chopping down trees and hacking apart limbs. And, and pretty soon they've got their kindling ready and they've got, like, you know, the sticks all in a bundle and they've got the big logs to get the fire going through the night and they're just, they're set. And within about two to three strikes of that knife against their set of flint, they've got a big enough spark going that they can light that campfire and start to build it. And within a few seconds, they've got a fire, which is great, I guess, if you're in Northern Canada in, 90, in minus 30 degree weather and you need a fire to survive. That's pretty important to do that quickly. And so I've been seeing them do that and just wish, man, I wish I could do that. But here's the deal. All it takes is a spark, right? You get that one good spark into that kindling, and you're going to pretty soon build up a fire that you're going to be able to stay warm and cook and have light and protection. On the other hand, uh, I have a cousin, and he lives in a place that I'll leave undisclosed for his own protection. 
Uh, because one summer, it was around July 4th, around this time of year, and him and his friends were outside playing with fireworks, and I think they were probably with Roman candles, and, you know, they had like a mason jar full of sand and rocks, and they had got a Roman candle planted in there, and they were, you know, shooting stuff off, and uh, the candle tipped over. And when it tipped over, of course, now this thing, instead of shooting up into the sky, is shooting across the road into a field full of crops, and it started a brush fire pretty quickly. So, you know, Roman candles shoot in, light up that dry field, and they're freaking out. They don't want the fire department called. They don't want to get in trouble. So they're trying to put this thing out. And luckily, it was all handled. It was under control. A farmer did not lose his livelihood that day. Everything was fine. They were to laugh about it quickly after, and he got the nickname Pyro. So he, got, he, got, he was called Pyro for, for a while there because he pretty much started a brush fire almost. But all it takes is a spark. And depending on where you send that spark, makes a huge difference. You can put that spark into a little thing of kindling and build yourself a fire, and it's a good thing. It creates something good and life-giving. Or you can shoot that spark off into a, you know, a field somewhere and start a brush fire, and that's no good. Nobody wants that. And depending on where you send that spark will affect so many other parts of your life. And that's kind of the question that John's going to answer for us, that question of where do we send that spark? Because we all have, if you'll call them, spark moments. We've got these moments where you get the motivation or you get the energy or the willpower to do something a little bit differently. You decide to take that step out of your comfort zone. Um, you try to do something different. It could be that you, know, you get to January 1st and you decide, this is going to be the year. I'm going to work out. Maybe not every day, maybe two or three times a, a week. I'll, I'll do that. And maybe you sign up for Peloton or you get a gym membership. You buy some equipment and you're like, this is the year, it's gonna happen. And you get that, that energy, or it's deciding there's a new financial goal and you're gonna change the budget and you're gonna put your money somewhere differently and you're gonna, you're gonna save up for something or try to get out of debt or whatever it is. You know, this is that moment where Michael Jordan decides he's gonna sit in his driveway and he's gonna shoot free throws for hours and practice and practice. It's that moment of I'm gonna put in the work, I'm gonna do the time, I'm gonna make the changes and adjustments to get somewhere. But where you decide to make those changes and send that spark and have that motivation direct you makes all the difference. So here's how John begins in his first letter, because he's going to explain to us where to send that kind of motivation. So if you want to open to 1 John chapter 1 in your Bible or on your device, we're going to start in verse 1. Here's what John says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So as John starts out, what he wants us to know first off is he's talking about Jesus first and foremost. That's the that which. He's talking all about Jesus. And he's talking not just about Jesus like an idea or an abstract concept or some kind of topic we're just going to talk about, but is a real person that makes a difference. That's why John starts with all these, you know, the sense, he uses his senses. He's like, we've seen, we've heard, like, this is what I'm telling you. It's, I've touched him. I know where he is. He's just not this idea. He's my friend. He's my Lord, right? We've seen, 
the, the scars from when he was crucified. We were with him when he fed the multitudes. We, we were there. We walked the same streets. We ate dinner at the same table. Like, I know him. And so John's not just trying to describe Jesus to us. He wants us to be able to have an actual experience and relationship with Jesus. He doesn't want us to just have secondhand knowledge. He wants us to know him firsthand. You know, so, you know, think of if I were to describe to you the greatest meal I've ever had. Let's just say it's a steak at a great steakhouse or, what, you know, whatever it is. Would you rather me describe that meal to you in great detail and the smells and the tastes and how great it was? Or would you rather I just invite you for dinner and we just go eat it? You'd probably rather just come with me to go eat the meal, right? Giving you the description is, is helpful, but no, I, I want to try it. I want to be in the restaurant. I want to smell the food. I want to taste it. And that's what John's trying to say. He's like, hey, look, I'm going to tell you because I've, I've really seen him. I've really been with him. But, but you need to have that experience too. And he's trying to guide us in that direction. He's trying to tell us all about his, his Lord, his Savior, his best friend, Jesus. But I want you to notice there in verse 3, something so important. He says there in verse 3, he says, What we proclaim to you is what we've seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He wants us to have fellowship together. He's not just talking about, you know, just being with Jesus. He's talking about being with, with us as well. That's kind of his concern. So if we're talking about this idea of fellowship, another word for that would be community that probably we're more familiar with. Um, if I were to describe how John is, what John's saying in these first few verses, let me give you a math equation. So if, you, if you're a math fan, if you teach math, this is for you, math equation. And don't worry, it's not very hard. Here's the math equation. John is saying this, you plus others plus Jesus equals community. If you take one of those parts out, you don't actually have community, John would say. So if you just think, no, it's just me and Jesus, I'm going to go over here, I'm going to do my thing, I don't need other people, I don't need a church, it's just me and Jesus, and it's, it's good, and we're just going to, John would say, that's great, that's not community. You're cheating yourself out of something better. And if you, you, know, and, if you and your, your friends, you get together, you have meals together, you have game nights, you, know, you hang out, you have fun, but you don't really pray or incorporate Jesus into the conversation at any point or, or get into the, you know, the, di the deep stuff, dig into your lives, John would say, well, that's, that's not really community either. That's just a good game night. Like, you need, you need all of that. It's you plus others plus Jesus. That's where you get community. That's really where that comes together. And look, one of the, you know, one of the things we've been dealing with right now is, is online church. And online church has been such a great gift because it's allowed us to continue to, to meet and connect when we couldn't for a while, and it helps to keep those at high risk safe. And online church going forward is going to be a great tool for people to meet Jesus. It's also going to be great for those mornings where you just know you're feeling sick, you're under the weather, you know you can't come to church, or it's just one of those days where you just realize the kid, you know, we got a kid throwing up, we got a kid throwing a fit, we're not making it to church today. We're just, it just can't happen or you're gone on vacation or playing ball, traveling, well, you can watch church online. You can stay connected. You can keep up with what's happening here. And if you're traveling, you can invite others, maybe on your team or other people with you on vacation to watch with you and see what's going on. So that's great for that. But, but here's the challenge is online church makes it really easy to start taking things out of this equation. You can just be like, it's just me and Jesus. I'm just going to get online. I'm going to watch church. You know, maybe you prefer to sing, I will build my life over a bowl of Cabin Crunch, you know, great fan of Cabin Crunch. 
Camp Crunch doesn't necessarily need to come with you on Sunday morning to church, right? Or you think, I'm just going to roll out of bed, stay in my pajamas, not put on deodorant, and just watch church, just click on Facebook right away. Listen, do yourself a favor. Change. Put on deodorant. Come to church. It's good for you, right? You have six other days a week where you and Jesus, you can have your personal time. You can do things with him the way you, you would prefer to do it and you like to do it. But if you're watching online right now and you're, and you're not at home because you're, you're still at risk of COVID or if you're not, you know, gone on vacation or something, you're just like, I just like to sit on my back porch in the sunshine and, and watch service by myself and be in nature or I just didn't want to get ready today. It's like, you're really missing out on something. That's what John's saying. You're missing out. And Sunday and church is designed for that. It's God's gift to us to come together and practice some humility and some unity and be in common kind of mission and life direction together. Because the word that John is using for fellowship or community is this Greek word koinonia, which means that idea of being in common purpose, common unity. You live your life together. You have a similar interest and you work together. So here's the deal. I, I love to watch and listen to a lot of sports radio talk shows. And so a lot of times over my lunch break while I'm eating a sandwich or something, I'll watch Colin Cowherd at, at noon and, and listen to him a little bit. And every time they interview an NFL player, I've heard this same line, I don't know how many times. They just say, in that locker room, all we care about is can you play ball? That's it. In an NFL locker room, we don't, they're like, we don't care who you vote for. We don't care what clothes you wear. We don't care if what car you drive or what house you live in. We don't care if you have the biggest contract or the smallest contract on the team. We don't care if you played at Alabama and won a national championship or if you played at some D3 school no one's heard about. We don't care. All we care about is can you play ball? Are you going to show up and put in the work and help us win football games and improve and get better? That's what we care about. And they say it all the time. If, imagine, I mean, if the quarterback goes out there and just throws interceptions, the team is going to quickly lose trust in their quarterback, and that ain't going to work because he's not helping them win games. He's not helping them towards the goal. If a wide receiver keeps just dropping passes, dropping passes, dropping passes, not going to help. They need to be on the same plan. And that comes, the way that develops is it's that hard work. It's the hours and hours of practice and being in the locker room. It's training camps. It's being in team meetings where you're going over the game plan and figuring out what you're going to do on Sunday. It's all of that. And koinonia is the same thing. It takes showing up. It takes hard work. It takes putting in the relational time to build those kinds of relationships that last, that have the same purpose and interest. It's that hard work that's how you end up with a group of believers that you can share all aspects of your life with. If you don't show up, if you don't put in the work, if you don't take the hot time, you're not going to build that kind of friendship and relationships. And now I've grown, I've grown close with a group of guys in my life, and here in just about three weeks, they're going to all come to Louisville, Kentucky from all over the, the country and, and be around for the wedding and everything. I'm excited to see them. But the way I built my relationship with them was over years and years and years of fun stuff and not so fun stuff. Like we've had lots of, we've gone to soccer games and football games and done the thing where guys, you know how this works. You can just somehow, you can just sit in the same room and watch the same sporting event and somehow you grow closer, right? Jenna never understands it. Like what you and the guys do? We watch football. What'd you talk about? Nothing. We just, but somehow our relationship just got a whole lot closer. That's just a guy thing, you know? But we've done that. We've watched sports. We've played video games. We've hung out. We've done all of that. 
But we've also had those moments where we share frustrations and challenges and we have to encourage each other. We talk through things in our life that's stressful, the challenges we're facing. How can we be better men? How can we grow in leadership? How can we do better in our jobs? We're always trying to do those things as well. So John is saying, look, community built around the reality of who Jesus is, that's the foundation. That's what you need. So going from the foundation, then he gives us this great message about God there in verse 5, where he says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. So think back to Genesis for just a minute. The very first thing that God created in Genesis was light. So it makes sense, I think, for John to start with light. The first thing God made is a great way to start with a metaphor for who he is. God is light. The first thing he made that came into the universe and revealed everything, got rid of darkness, right? You walk into a dark room, you flip on the light switch, you can finally see what's there. And that metaphor of light just means God is truth. He doesn't lie. He doesn't trick you. He doesn't manipulate you. He doesn't keep his cards close to the chest. He tells you what you need to know. He tells you the truth. He's honest with you. He wants the best for you. And if you remember the past few weeks, I've been saying quite a few times, what you believe about God will impact how you live. So John in verse five, he gives us something to believe about God. God is light. And then in the rest of chapter one, he's actually gonna show us how that belief translates to the way we live. And he's gonna do this with conditional clauses. Now I know you all woke up and were really excited for grammar class this morning on Sunday. But if you will, I'm gonna take you back to grammar school for just a minute. Because a conditional clause is an if statement that kind of sets something up for you. So if I were to say, if it's still sunny out, we'll go to the park. Then you know, well, if it's sunny, we'll go to the park. If it's not, we won't go to the park. It just sets up, if this happens, this thing can happen. It sets up something that's dependent on something else. So John gives these five statements of these next few verses that just start off, if we, and then he tells us what to do. If we do this, if we don't do this, here's what's gonna happen. And they all have to do with sin and community. So if you look at verses six and seven, here's the first two which go together. He says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. But if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another and Jesus's blood purifies us of all sin. So John goes back to that same thing he introduced in the first four verses where he talks about, if you wanna have fellowship, Here's, how it, here's what it looks like. It looks like you don't walk in darkness, right? If you claim you have fellowship with Jesus, but you're not actually living like Jesus, well, you're, you're just lying. You're not really, and that's not part of light because part of God as light means he doesn't lie. So you shouldn't lie. That's just what he's trying to say. You can't go off by yourself and distance yourself from other believers and live in the dark and hide. He says, well, that's not how that works at all. And then these next three verses, these next three clauses start in verse eight he talks about sin. He starts off, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's just another way of saying you don't have the God of light in your life if you're saying you don't have sin. So if you remember, if, if we're dealing with a situation where some Christians have left the church, they're doing kind of their own thing over here, they're teaching things and living in a way that doesn't fit with Jesus, this is probably one of the things they've done is they've gone off by themselves and they're like, we're immune to sin. We don't sin. We're totally perfect all the time. We're good. And John's kind of saying, I think very politely, that's a stupid idea. Like that doesn't work. That doesn't work at all. 
He's just saying, if you think you don't sin, you're just deceiving yourself. We all sin. We all struggle to obey God. And you're probably thinking, thanks for that reminder, preacher. That's really what I wanted to hear this morning, that I'm a sinner and I mess up and I, I just can't get things right. And that's, that's the bad news. But the great news comes next. In verse 9, John writes, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So in other words, if we confess, Jesus is going to forgive us. And that's great news. We can be forgiven of that sin in our life, of the times we fall short. And forgiveness is something that we all want. We all want to be forgiven, have that feeling of that weight lifted off of your shoulders. And here's the truth that John knew. Now scientists and doctors and psychologists have, have kind of caught up to that because there's recent studies, even in July of 2014, there is an issue of psychological science that did a whole study on this topic. And they basically just found that people who forgive have lower depression, lower anxiety, lower anger, and other negative experiences. People who confess their sin or confess things they've done that's wrong, they actually have better cardiovascular health, lower blood pressure. Like it's just their mental health gets better, their physical health gets better. Forgiveness feels good and does good for us. Like God designed us in such a way that forgiveness makes us healthier, body, mind, and soul. And so John's basically saying, look, if you, if you claim you've never sinned, you're, you're immune to sin, you're pretty much telling Jesus, hey, thanks for dying on the cross, but you didn't really need to do that. I'm good. I'm perfect. I could have gotten myself out of this mess. And John's saying that couldn't be further from the truth. If it weren't for Jesus, you'd be stuck in a pit you could never climb out of. You desperately need his death and his resurrection to help you deal with the problem that we all have. Now, several years ago, the Oxford Junior Dictionary actually removed the word sin from their dictionary, and here's the reason they gave. They said, it has fallen into disuse and is not recognized by the younger generation. So here's the deal. We live in a time where sin, it's less and less relevant. It's not cool to talk about. Nobody wants to even use the word sin. So instead, we might say, like, well, I'm just, I'm just being true to who I am. Or everybody's got their own truth. That may be true to you, but that's not true to me. You know, we say things like that. Or instead of saying it's a sin, it's, it's a mistake. I just made a mistake. It's not that big a deal. Well, no, it's sin. It is a big deal. And John's just trying to keep us honest. We have a real problem, and there's a real solution. And right there in the middle of John talking about fellowship with each other and with Jesus, he talks a lot about confessing. If we confess our sins, Jesus will forgive us. So here's the question I want to ask you. Who do you confess to? If John thinks confess confession is so important, who do you confess to? My guess would be, based on the way that John's writing, and if we were to go back to our equation, I think what John's trying to say is, you confess to Jesus and to others. You confess to, to trusted Christians in your community and you confess to Jesus. I think it's easy for us to just like go into, a, go into a room, go into a closet where it's just us and Jesus and just tell Jesus what we've done wrong because maybe we think, well, he already knows. So it's okay. Or, you know, I'll kind of mumble through it because I don't really want anyone else to know or hear. And John is saying, look, if you do that, that that's fine, but you're missing out on something so much better because there's power. If you've ever had to look another human in the face and say, I'm sorry, and have them say to you, it's okay, I forgive you. Like, you know how powerful that is, how helpful that is to hear another person say back to you, 
I forgive you. It's okay. And then to actually see them like treat you the same afterwards, to actually like love you and still take care of you and still show up for things. Like that's power. And I think confession matters a lot because it's God's gift so we can experience the forgiveness he gives us here on earth. It's so that you can look at your brother and sister in Christ and they can give you the gift of forgiveness. You can experience forgiveness through other people. And we need that. We need to be able to get that off of our chest. And I think that's a huge reason that John is trying to push this. He's saying, look, you need others to help you. It can't just be you and Jesus. It's got to be you and others and Jesus. It's all of us in this together. Because confession will make your forgiveness more real to you. It'll help you experience it. And it'll make your community stronger. So I want you to think of it this way. Maybe you've seen one of these before. This is a Chinese finger trap. So you've probably seen this done where, you know, you put one finger in either side, and if you pull, you can't, you can never get your fingers out. No matter how hard you pull, this, I'm not, I'm stuck like this until I do something different. So imagine if one side is community and the other side is forgiveness, and you want to bring those things together, right? So imagine if the motion of coming together is like confession. When you bring your community and your, and you want forgiveness and you bring that together in confession, then you can actually like get out, right? That's the only way these things work. And I think that's what John is trying to describe to us. Like if you want to really experience that, then you've got to go to other people. So here's, if you, if you like to take notes, here's the whole sermon in a sentence, right? Here's the whole thing. Here's why where we send our spark matters so much. The spark that leads to forgiveness is confession in Christian community. The spark that leads to forgiveness is confession in Christian community. Because here's the deal. You may feel like you've got this weight. You've done something wrong. You know you've got to do something with it, right? You know you have to do something with it. And so you can, you can that's like your spark. You can choose where you're going to send that to. You can bury it. You can keep it. But that's just going to weigh you down over time. Or you can just kind of sort of deal with it. Or you can do it what John's describing. Confess it to your brothers and sisters in Christ and to Jesus. Confess it and you'll experience that forgiveness. That's the spark. I think what he's saying is, hey, those, those other folks that they've left, they've gone off, they're doing their own thing. They don't think they have sin. They're never going to experience a solution to their problem. Saying they're throwing their spark off into a field and they're starting a wildfire and they're destroying themselves. What they really need, imagine if we go back to that, the image of a fire. That kindling is your Christian community. And that spark of confession will help you have a fire of forgiveness and experience that. So here's what you can do with that. Here's what you can do with that. If you don't have a Christian community, find one. And there are all kinds of communities here that meet in our church that we'd love to help you connect with. We have groups that meet every Sunday during the 10 o'clock hour for Bible study. That's a great place to start. You know, and we would love, Rodney or Caleb or I or Taylor, we'd love to help connect you into a group if you don't have one. That's absolutely what you need to do as your next step. But if you have that Christian community, but you've never really confessed to anybody, it doesn't have to be something you've done to them. It could just be something you know you've, got to, you've just got to, you've got to confess it to somebody. Then if you've got that community of, of folks that you really trust and know you can, you can take to the, them with this, then I, I'm going to challenge you to confess them sometime. Maybe just sometime this summer. And, and if you're anything like me, what will happen is your, your palms will get kind of sweaty, you'll get really nervous, you'll probably get embarrassed. But once you do it, it feels a whole lot better. And it just gets easier after that, especially when you realize that other person's still going to show up and still going to treat you well and tell you, 
it's okay, I forgive you. And imagine if you put in that hard work, imagine what, if you don't have that community yet, imagine what your community will be like, what that group of friends, that small group will look like in a year or two or three or 10. You take those small steps now, and in a few years from now, you'll have an incredibly deep, rich sense of community. Because community is not something you can microwave, it's not instant, it takes time, it takes work. It takes confession, it takes fun, it takes all the things in between of that. Because God's gift of light to us is we can experience forgiveness like today, like now, with each other even. Because he's always offering that forgiveness, he always gives that to us, and he doesn't want us to live in the dark any longer. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so very much for the gift of your son. And I thank you for your gift that you've given us of confession. And even though that might be hard and nerve wracking for us to do, uh, I'm just thankful that you give us Christian community that we can um, have as a safe space for those moments of confession when we need it. And Father God, I just continue to pray uh, for anyone in the room or anybody watching online, um, that if they don't know you yet, you would meet them where they are that you would make it abundantly clear to them that you love them, that you care for them, that you're near to them. I pray that you would show them this week in a powerful way who you are, that you're the God of light and you always show us the truth and the way to go. Jesus, we love you and we just pray that your Holy Spirit continues to give us the boldness to live out your word and live out Jesus in our lives. Since in your name I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Each week we gather for worship on the corner of Broadway and Lebanon Avenue, and we're honored to have you listening in. If you'd like to learn more about joining us in person, you can find out details at campbellsvillechristianchurch.com or on Facebook or Instagram.